So Mark chapter 6, I'm going to read from verse 30. This is the feeding of the 5,000. Mark records it like this. This appears in three of the Gospels, and Mark records it like this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. That's busy. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred and I worth of bread and give it to them to eat? In Tom Wright's translation of the New Testament, he, put, he puts it like this. He says, and give it to this lot. <laughs> it's wonderful. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Let me just jump into John's Gospel, because in John's Gospel it says this. There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Picking up again in Mark's Gospel at verse 39. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. One of the things that Mark doesn't do, uh, that the other two gospel writers do, is record the amazement of the people sitting there and the fact that they recognized who Jesus was as he performed this miracle. That as a result of this feeding of these 5,000 men, there were more than 5,000 people there because they only counted the men. I know it's a bit sexist, but that's the way they did things in those days. Um, and uh, as a result of this great miracle, many, many people went away saying, this man must be from God this must be the son of God they saw something of the glory of God in this miracle of provision you know when we look at this uh, passage whichever gospel you look at it in it's really easy to miss some important stuff that's going on in there it's really easy because uh, we want to kind of we want to get to the end because that's the exciting bit where everybody is fed and they're picking up all these baskets the stuff left over and uh, everybody's celebrating at the goodness of God and uh, celebrating who Jesus is and that's fantastic and it's wonderful and we must not miss that but actually there's some really important stuff in this uh, account that we need to pay attention to as well stuff that actually is relevant to us right here and now stuff which is a challenge to us stuff which is an encouragement to us I want to pick up first of all uh, verse 34 it says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, 
he saw them and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and I think the the first base for any kind of ministry of the church for uh, any uh, any um, strategy to impact a community to, to see the world change must start with revelation and compassion are you with me? Jesus saw the crowd and he didn't just see a, a, a mass of humanity although that must have been what they looked like you know 5,000 men if you add into that their wives and um, kids you could be looking at a crowd as big as 20,000 people maybe more it would just look like a mass of humanity wouldn't it but Jesus saw something more than that he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd he saw the difficulty of their circumstance he saw not just the people but he saw where they were at and it caused compassion to rise up in him and one of the things that we must learn to do and one of the things that we must seek God over is to see through the eyes of Jesus that we stand here today we sit here today surrounded by a community that are sheep without a shepherd that we are surrounded by people who are lost who are lonely, who are marginalized, who are disenfranchised, who do not have easy lives. And, you know, it, it's easy just to see people walking up and down, isn't it? It's, it would be easy, you know, as I'm coming in uh, to the office in a morning to just see all these people having dropped their kids off at school, just walking up and down Wadsworth Road and just see people. And Jesus saw more than that. Jesus saw that these were people in need. Jesus saw that these were people who in all different ways were broken and hurt and needed help. And that more than that, they were people who were separated from the God who loves them. They were sheep without a shepherd. They were lost, they were wandering, and they had nobody to guide them. And it's clear, uh, at least it's clear to me, certainly from the conversations that have been uh, going around last week around the election and everybody else, and everything else that's been going on that people don't have any confidence in politicians to leaders people don't have any confidence in governments and local authorities and, and that sort of thing people just see that as a battleground where they fight for their rights and fight for the things that they need and very often don't get there is no confidence there people are to all intents and purposes leaderless they don't have a shepherd and if you don't have a shepherd, you just wander wherever, don't you? You, you wander where, to where you think you can get fed. <laughs> Sheep are interesting animals. Um, whilst we were on holiday last week, we had a great time, thanks for asking. Um, whilst we were on holiday last week, we were driving along a, uh, one of these little Welsh lanes, and um, th there's, there's this little tiny uh, sheep, baby sheep, what do you call a baby sheep? A lamb, that's the word. There's this tiny lamb, thank you, um, actually at the roadside um, eating. And um, of course, there's fencing all around the field. And, uh, and of course, Sue's instant reaction being a shepherdess is, do we need to do something about this lamb? Um, but as we got closer in the car, it shot up, it, it, it kind of jumped up and then it shot back and went under a gap between the kind of the fence and the grass that only a tiny lamb could have got through. You wouldn't have got a full size 
shoot through there and shot back into the but it it made its way it's found a way through the fence because it was looking for something to eat because it was hungry and that is the focus of most people's lives we know that we need something and we just need to find a way to get it what most people don't realize is that the first thing that they need in life is Jesus and uh, you know that that is the primal need of every human being they need Jesus they need to be reunited with the father in heaven and Jesus looked at this crowd and he saw that they were disconnected and he had compassion he, sh he saw that they were lost he saw that they didn't have a leader that they didn't have anybody to guide them into truth and into the life that they needed to have and he had compassion and so it should be with us that we should look out on this mass of humanity that surrounds us and see past the fact that they are bodies and you know just people see further than that and see that actually we are surrounded by sheep who don't have a shepherd that we are surrounded by people who have need and you know we are starting to discover you know through the work of the cafe and the food bank and the uh, job quest and all of those things we're starting to discover uh, some of the needs of the community some of the things that go on behind closed doors some of the awful lives that some people have to live day by day but one of the things that is consistent amongst all of that is that these people are lost they are sheep without a shepherd and we need to see through the eyes of Jesus and we need to let compassion rise up in us because you know, I stand here a lot and call you guys to things. I call you to serve. I call you to give. I call you to do all sorts of stuff. And if the only reason that you're doing it is because I've asked you to do it, there is something wrong. We're not making it. We're not getting it right. Because the only way we're going to do what we need to do and give like we need to give is if we see through the eyes of Jesus and compassion rises up in us. What does that mean? It means that, that, that compassion rising up. It means that actually we start to care in a way that we didn't care before that we start to see the difficulties and the, and the destitution of people's lives and want to do something about it because we care see for Jesus this was not a mathematical equation this was not a if I preach the right message and give the right appeal and 10% of the crowd get saved I've got something to build a church with none of that for him his ministry was born out of compassion for people he cared about people and everything that he did was motivated by that love and that care and that compassion and you and I need to get to the same place that we need to allow ourselves to be touched by the spirit of God to have our eyes opened and to allow compassion to rise in us for the people who live around us so that we care enough to do something about it and I know listen I know we're doing stuff and I know some of us are totally given over to this already but let me say to you this morning and uh, you know if this if you don't like this I don't care you need to hear it not all of us are doing stuff some of us are plowing our lives into this some of us are not and I want to say to you this morning not enough of us are plowing our lives into this 
Not enough of us have been moved by compassion for the community that we live in. Not enough of us are seeing the way that Jesus sees. Not enough of us care enough to do what needs to be done in this place. Not enough of us. Is that hard to hear? Jesus, seeing them, seeing that they were like sheep without a shepherd, had compassion. Now listen, put that into the context of what we just read. They haven't had a break. They haven't had a rest. They've been on the trail of ministry. They've been sowing and sowing and sowing and giving themselves, and they've been so busy, the Bible just told us, that they didn't even have time to eat. And they're making their way to a solitary place. They're making their way. They're getting. They're trying to get out of the crowd. They're trying to get away from things to take a break, to sit down and have dinner together, to, you know, to have a bit of a chinwag and everything else. And this crowd follows them. And Jesus doesn't say, "I haven't got time now because I've got to go and have dinner with the boys." Jesus doesn't say, "I'm tired. Can you come back tomorrow?" But actually Jesus engages with them and he teaches them and he heals their sick and he delivers the oppressed. And then having done all of that, they're hungry and they're in the middle of nowhere and it's time to eat. And then he feeds them. He feeds them spiritually, he feeds them physically. And he doesn't make any excuses. Now I understand, so please don't mishear me here. I understand the importance of escaping. I understand the importance of rest. We've just had a holiday. We needed a holiday. And it's important that we do things like that. What we must not do is allow in our lives a whole list of excuses and reasons to start building up that keep us from the purposes of God for our own lives and for the life of this church in this community. What we must do is challenge ourselves not to be withdrawing just because it suits us and ignoring what God is saying and ignoring the purposes of God. We must challenge ourselves. We must begin to see like Jesus sees. We must let compassion rise and we must engage with the purposes of God. Are you with me? And it carries on. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is now late send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus um, poses the question with the disciples. Now, I want to, I'm not beating the disciples up over this, but... Um, the disciples have a tendency to lean to the practical. They have a tendency to lean to worldly or earthly measures. Jesus says, you feed them. None of them came back to Jesus and said, well, let's pray about how we do that. Instantly, they're in a mindset that says, that's impossible. There's 20,000 people here. It's going to take 200 denarii to buy enough food to feed all of these people. Now, if you live in that mindset, you're never going to get anything done. Hello? I mean, how is that going to work? I mean, they're in, the, they're in a desolate place. There is no Tesco's. There is no Sainsbury's. You know, there is no Asda. 
They're in a desolate place. There are 20,000 people there. There's a dozen disciples and Jesus says, you feed them. Do you honestly think what he meant was, let's go shopping, boys, and see if we can get some, you know, let's see if we can find a McDonald's and get 20,000 Happy Meals. You know, that's not what he was aiming at. That's not what he was looking for. It was a challenge in a desperate practical situation to find a solution that meant them relying on God. Hello. That what Jesus was looking for and what he was trying to draw out of them was a reliance on God to do things that needed doing where they couldn't do them. Now, you know, if there had been a McDonald's on the corner and they could have coped with 20,000 people and they had got the budget to pay for that, that would be an easy practical solution. And you'd, you'd probably, you know, maybe it's okay then just to do that. But actually that was not the case. The disciples' only, only solution to the issue was, well, send them away. <laughs> Let them all go and forage for themselves and sort themselves out. And that's why the world is in the mess it's in. Because people in need have not been given any leadership, have not been given any instruction, have not been helped to find God and find the answer to their needs. They've just been told, go and sort yourself out. The, the disciples' response was a very down-to-earth practical one. But what Jesus was looking for and trying to teach them was something bigger, something more. That actually, you may be only a dozen blokes. And there may not be an Asda or a Tesco's. But God can do anything. Let's find out what we have got and let's start there. And what have we got? Well, I dipped into John's Gospel there because... Um, Mark doesn't mention that uh, the, the loaves and the fishes come from a boy. John in chapter 6 and verse 9 says, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Again, mindset in the practical. We've got five loaves and two fishes. How is that going to get round 20,000 people? But Jesus is trying to teach them something. We'll start with what we've got and we'll work out from there but I want you to think a minute about the boy I have uh, I don't have any sons I, I, I had daughters um, uh, Sue has a couple of sons uh, I want to tell you they both eat like horses don't they they both have massive appetites and if you were in a desolate place in the middle of nowhere and all you'd got was enough lunch for yourself, and you were a teenage boy with a massive appetite, how happy are you going to be about handing that over to a disciple? Answer, none. Non-happy. Zero happiness. Quotient happiness, nil. And yet, this young boy, this hungry teenager gives everything that he's got. He doesn't say, well, look, I've got five loaves and two fishes. Leave me a couple of loaves and you can take the rest. No. He gives the lot to the disciples. He gives it all to them. I want to tell you there is a serious lesson for us to learn about generosity. This miracle would not have taken place without the generosity of that boy 
he, in his generosity, did something which reflected God in him. The image of God in him. If the image of God is imprinted on us, one of our natural attributes should be that we are generous. By generous, I don't mean, you know, um, we're called to give a tithe, so I'll give 11%. That's generous, isn't it? Because it's 1% over what we're called to give. That's not generous. I'd be very happy if you all did that, but that's not <laughs> generous. I mean, if you're the sort of person that, that sits down and works out your giving with a calculator, you need to sort yourself out seriously. If you're the sort of person that sits and nails down every penny before you consider what you can give to God, you really need to have a change in your heart and in your thinking. Because that's not what God is like. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but humbling himself, set aside the glory of heaven and became a man for our sakes. That's generosity. That is generosity. He did not consider the cost, but he knew there was something that needed doing and he gave himself entirely to it. This young boy gives the whole of his lunch. That is generosity. That's all that he's got. I remember Jesus singling out the woman in the temple who was putting her two mites, her two little coins, the lowest denomination, into the offering box. Two little coins which, in the general scheme of things, probably didn't make much difference because they didn't add up to a lot. But in the spiritual scheme of things, in God's plan of things, were enormous because Jesus singled this woman out and said, look, she's giving everything she's got. Hello? And we've got to decide how serious we are about the things that we say we believe. Because if we believe that God has given us a mandate to change the world, if we believe that God has given us a mandate to reach out and see the world start to reflect his glory, we're not going to do that if we're not generous. Hello? We're not. Let me just say this, and this, this, uh, this is just kind of an aside, but I do want you to hear this. Um, giving from the church has gone down significantly. Now I know we've been through some changes in terms of, you know, pe people here and everything else, but giving from the church has gone down significantly. And whereas it should be that the church should be propping up what's going on with everything else in the center, at the minute the center is propping up everything that's going on in the church. I need you to be generous. I need you to go to prayer and uh, let God do something in your heart that leads you to a place where you are generous. I don't want you to be generous because I'm telling you to be generous. I want you to be generous because you carry a conviction in your spirit from God that that's what you should be. And you know the wonderful thing is I love generous people. I love being around generous people. I love being around people who nothing is too much trouble for them. We went to conference, um, and uh, on the um, first evening there, you know, we you you get there kind of after lunch, and um, 
you, it's all a bit of a rush. Uh, you know, you've got the afternoon sessions and then you've got a break at tea time in which you've got to rush from the conference centre to wherever your hotel is and um, sort out booking into the hotel and then you've got to get something to eat and then you've got to rush back to the conference centre. You've got to do all of that in an hour and a half. So thankfully where we were staying there was a harvester restaurant right next door so we rush back to the hotel, we get checked in, we rush out to the restaurant, we get round a table and um, we, we manage to get served pretty quickly and we sit there and we eat and then we're all sitting there saying okay how much does this cost us and um, he's not going to like me for telling you this but Steve puts his hand in his pocket and pays the whole bill. Don't you wish you were sitting at our table now? <laughs> Steve puts his hand in his pocket and pays the whole bill. Didn't need to do that. We'd all come with money. We were all ready and prepared for that. But that is the spirit of generosity. Why did he do that? Not to show off. He did that because he wanted to bless his friends sitting around the table. That is generosity. Hello? Hello? A Samaritan is walking down a road and he finds a guy who's kicked up and beaten in and and it's not actually any of his business and actually this guy is on the other team he's not on my team but he picks him up and he dusts him down and he takes him to a safe place and he leaves money for him to be looked after and he says if the money runs out let me know and next time I'm passing through I'll give you whatever's owing that's generosity a woman who only has two mites to her name who puts them in the offering box in the temple that's generosity and we need, if we're going to reflect the character of God, to live out of a generous spirit. And listen, I know, because I've had to battle that in myself, that it doesn't come easy. Because there are so many things that we need, and there are so many things that we want. And there are so many things that we can think of to give ourselves to, to spend our money on, to give our time to, all of those sorts of things. I understand all of that. But we each of us need to come to a place where we have a generous spirit that reflects the heart of God. Now listen, it's not all bad news because I know that in all sorts of different ways many of us do that and do it well. And uh, you know, I'm, I am very blessed to be around you guys. And uh, you know, you've done stuff for me, you've done stuff for Sue. Some of you guys have really gone way out there to do stuff to help us and support us and encourage us and I, and I have appreciated that very much what we need to do is all capture that spirit of generosity and not just keep it in here because there is a world out there that needs to experience something of the generosity of the God who loves them and we each need to learn to live out of a generous spirit. And if we've got something, be prepared to give it. I mean, you're probably still fooled. You're probably still thinking that the stuff that you have is yours. The Bible doesn't teach us that. It all belongs to God, doesn't it? Does it not all belong to God? I thought that was the case. And we each face the challenge of how we respond to that. Um, we're probably looking at a shortfall in terms of the church's giving of about £30,000 this year. I'll just drop that in to you because we've got half a year to make that up. <laughs> so just, you know, we do need to go back to God. I, let me tell you, I, I pay way above, I put way above uh, my tithe. 
into the offering and I'm in the process of reviewing it to see how much more I can squeeze out of my budget to get into And one of the reasons for that, and let me tell you this because I'm a little bit competitive, is I noticed from the accounts that somebody was giving more than I am. Now, I know you can't outgive God, but I'm going to try my hardest to outgive all of you. <laughs> and because I'm a little bit competitive, but also because if I'm not doing it, I can't expect you to do it. So there is a challenge there for us. Not, not just with church finances, but in the whole of our lives, that does our life reflect something of the generosity of the God who lives in us? because it needs to. And this young boy, he just he gives everything. He doesn't hold anything back. He doesn't say, well, I'm hungry, so I'm hanging on to two loaves. He says, this is what I've got. If you can work with this, with this hungry crowd, here you are. Let's go. And he gives it to them. And then it says this. And taking the five loaves and the two fishes, uh, Jesus looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before all the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Here is something that after 40 years of following Jesus, after six years of formal biblical training, and after all these years of reading and sitting under messages and everything else, here is something that I missed. Here is something that hit me uh, as a blinding revelation this week when I heard Christian say this. He said, the miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. That Jesus took the offering and he blessed it, but then he divided it out amongst his disciples and what he divided out amongst his disciples was five loaves and two fish. But then in the hands of the disciples as they went out to do what Jesus told them to do, 20,000 people got dinner. The miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. And as you bring your offering, as you live generously, as you put everything that you have into the hands of Jesus, he'll put something in your hands which is worth far more. The miracle will happen in your hands. Just as it does here with the disciples that you take the little bit that you've got and give it to him and he'll do something spectacular with it two mites well are, are we, do we still have half pennies in currency no so it would be have we got pennies still got pennies in currency ok so I'm just trying to I'm, I'm like the queen mate I don't carry cash but I'm just, I'm just trying to nail down the smallest bit of currency that, that we have. Okay. Listen, God takes things like that and he multiplies them. And two pence, two pennies might not be a lot. But if that's all you've got and you put it in, God will do something with it. And, and in the face of, for the church's end of things, an £80,000 budget which will need to be more next year, you might think that just putting two pennies in because that's all you've got doesn't make much difference. But I want to tell you, Jesus will take that and he will bless it and he will multiply it. And I have no idea how that works or how he will do that, but I, will, I want to tell you with absolute conviction that he will do it. 
But as we learn to be generous, the miracles will start to happen in our hands. There's also, of course, an element of um, obedience there as well. The, The disciples, as always, did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Now, can you imagine... I mean, you know, if you're prone to, to um, anxiety or panic attacks or things like that, this is going to be one of those moments, isn't it? That Jesus has just given you a couple of bits of bread and a couple of bits of fish and said, okay, that's your 10,000 people over there. Go and feed them. But that's exactly what he does. And as they are obedient, as they are obedient to him, the miracle happens. Isn't that wonderful? John records after all of this, he says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. They recognized who Jesus was because of the work that he had done. But I want you to see that the work was done out of the generosity of a boy and the obedience of the disciples. And it's not all easy and it's not all wonderful. You know, you have those glorious moments there where 20,000 hungry people are fed. What happens next? Uh, They get in the boat and they're heading across the lake and Jesus isn't with them and the storm brews up and they all think they're going to die. You know, that's the bit where Jesus comes walking on the water. Yeah? They all think they're going to die. They all think it's over. And that's the kind of roller coaster life that we have isn't it when it comes to faith we have those high moments where 20,000 people are getting fed and we think isn't this wonderful all praise Jesus and then you know a few hours later we're in a boat and we think we're all going to die get used to it so I want to very quickly because um, time is gone just give you Four words beginning with R to kind of sum this up. Four words beginning with R. They all begin with R just so you know that it's spiritual and holy. All beginning with the same letter. Although there are four, not three, so I lost out on that one. But there are four words here that if you're taking notes, you should write these down because here are the key things, the challenges for us this morning, the things that we need to really get a hold of. The first word is revelation, that we need to see. Revelation. We need to see how Jesus sees. We need to let the Holy Spirit show us things and let that touch our lives. Revelation. Seeing what surrounds us. Allowing ourselves to be moved by it, to let compassion rise. And if you're serious about it and you don't feel like you are seeing, then ask the Holy Spirit to help you because he'll be very glad to do that second R is this so after revelation comes responsibility Jesus uh, in the face of this situation turns to the disciples and puts responsibility on them what are we going to do about this what have you got to offer then when the solution is presented he says you now take this out and feed them You know, if God has given you revelation in the past and you've not had any recently, maybe you need to go back to that revelation and take some responsibility for what you saw. I remember a long time ago um, talking to um, 
Christine Noble, that name might be familiar to some of you. She and her husband um, used to lead a network of house churches, um, mostly down in the south, um, two absolutely brilliant people. And I'm just, we were working on some project or other, and I'm just casually chatting with, uh, with Christine. And I said to her, you know, this whole thing about vision and calling and direction, sometimes I'm not entirely sure what it is God wants from me, you know, today. And she said to me something which was really wise, which I've gone back to on a number of occasions. She said, well, just go back to the last thing God said to you. Just go back to the last revelation that you had and work from there. Take responsibility for what you have seen. Take responsibility for what the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to. Revelation, responsibility, response. What is your response? Because if there's no response, you've not really accepted responsibility. It's not enough just to say yes, but actually that has to be followed by some activity, by some action. That our responsibility requires us doing something. Revelation, responsibility, response. What is your response? For this young boy, it was to give up all of his lunch. Because he saw the need, and that was his contribution. You've got to wonder what was going on in his mind. I mean, you know, 20,000 people. I've got five loaves and two fish. Five loaves, two fish, 20,000, two fishes. What? It does not compute, but he gave it anyway. The disciples had no idea what was going to happen, but they did what Jesus said anyway. You know, the Bible is full of that. You don't need to know everything before you do something. Hello? You don't need to know everything before you do something. Revelation, responsibility, response, and then you get the result. That generosity gave birth to a miracle. Seeing the need, taking responsibility, making a response to it brought a result that brought glory to Jesus. And that's the aim, is it not? That's the aim. And the challenge is ours. So I'm going to pray, because that's what we do. But again, I just want to encourage you. If you treat the prayer at the end of the sermon as just the end of the sermon then that's all it'll be if you treat it as an opportunity to respond to God and have something change in your life this morning then that's what it'll be hello so let's stand Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and to minister uh, into our hearts, into our minds, into our spirits in these few moments that you would come, Lord, and work something new in us. I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would give us fresh revelation. We want to see Jesus. Open our eyes. 
We want to see as Jesus sees. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. We want to see because we want compassion to rise up in us the way it rose up in Jesus. That we would be a reflection of his goodness and his glory to the people around us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would stir something in us that would bring us to that place where we would take responsibility for the things that you are putting in front of us, where we would engage, where we would consider it our responsibility to do something and that you would help us Lord to engage fully and successfully with those things that you're calling us into because we know when we do that that's when the miracles happen that as we give ourselves as we live with a generous spirit and pour out on behalf of you we know Lord that you take that and you multiply it and the miracles begin to happen so I pray Holy Spirit do something in our hearts in our minds, in our spirits this morning that move us to a stronger place in you, that move us to a better place so that we can really be the people that you're calling us to be and do the things that you're calling us to do. And I pray, Lord, that you would just, as you minister that into our lives, bring a fresh anointing of power that you, Lord, would plant something new in us that would encourage us and uh, just cause a fresh enthusiasm for your purposes to rise up in us. And I pray that the Lord would bless you. I love that bit. In the the Mansfield paraphrase version, that means give you a serious case of the happies. I pray that the Lord would bless you, that he would put a smile on your face, that he would do things in your life today and, and this week that would cause you to rejoice at his handiwork. I pray that he would keep you, keep you safe, keep you well, keep you strong, keep you focused, keep you moving along the path that he's set out for you, keep you succeeding and growing. I pray that he would draw close to you, that the light of his presence would shine on you, that you would know that he was there, that you would know that his hand is upon you, that you would know that he will never leave you or forsake you. And that he would fill your life with the wonderful, glorious, inexplicable, supernatural peace that only he can give. That you would live and work and minister from a place of rest and hope and confidence because the hand of the Lord is upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.